Good morning. Um, I am Pastor Chris. I'm the guy Ben was talking about. And if you are a guest this morning, I'm not here every week. So keep coming back. This is a great church. This is a great place to be. Um, Ben said I've got a pretty long history with Silver Creek. Um, It actually goes back, some of you might remember, to when the church met over on M28. Um, So it's been quite a while. I connected with Pastor Preston Tippin and Amy Tippin, who will be here next week, um, when I was in high school, and that's where I actually met Catherine. But my family's history with, with not just well, I mean Silver Creek, but also with the UP in general goes back a long ways. In fact, my, my uncle was a quarterback for NMU back in the day, so go Wildcats. Um, I know for me, like I, I've kind of been a lifelong tourist up here. Um, we came up Copper Harbor all the way over to Sault Ste. Marie. My mom was a lighthouse nut. So every summer I'd be up here looking at lighthouses. So it kind of, for me, instilled this huge value and love of the outdoors. Um, but then, of course, I got saved, met some friends um, up here, so I'd kept, keep coming up. Um, one of my best memories with my dad was we went skiing at Marquette Mountain. That's the largest I've ever skied, so thank you, Marquette. Um, and a few years ago, me and some buddies, we took a four-day trip and backpacked Isle Royal, um, which was what's really incredible. Um, but really, I think my love for the UP and this church in particular can really be just kind of captured by me just wanting to take a piece of it everywhere I go. So when the opportunity came, I was like, I'm going to marry somebody from up here. So my kids will have Uper blood. Um, but this morning, actually, it's a little bit more, I think, sweet for me. So if I get emotional, here's why. Um, when I was... I think I was a sophomore in high school. I was sitting right back over there where Will Corpy is right now. And I had the thought of, God, if you would ever allow me to minister in this church, please let it happen. And so today is kind of, like I said, bitter, bittersweet for me because our, our, our friend, Pastor Kevin, is, is out of the picture for a little bit. But for me, it's this huge opportunity of, God, this is what that prayer looks like. It comes from friendship. And that's really what we're going to be up here talking about this morning is our Fixer Upper series is all about friendship. So we've been in the series, and it's all about that idea of taking, what does it take to really make a friendship work? It takes a little bit of extra elbow grease to maintain friendship sometimes. And friendships are really incredible when they work the way God intended them. Um, But it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't. We know that, I know that, you know that. Um, And in the last few years, like I've said, this place has been a huge amount of elbow grease for me. In the last couple of years, Pastor Kevin and Veronica have really been a great couple for us, Catherine and I, to lean into Pastor Preston and Pastor Amy the same way. Ben and Amy have been the same way. Um, they've been great ministry people for us to lean into. So when I say you're in a great place this morning, I mean that because there's great friendship that is here. And my prayer for you this morning is that our church here would be a place where we could have friendship, where we could have community that wouldn't just be for Harvey, but it could be for Marquette, for Ishpeming, for all of the surrounding areas. And I know this church reaches far right now. But friendships, like I said, they don't, they're not always easy, and they don't always fit the way we want them to. And in HGTV's show, Love It or List It, people know that about their own homes. So they find problems with their house. They're like, oh, man, this room's too small, or this isn't quite open concept enough for me, so what do we do? So they're given two options. They can either let a designer come in and remodel their entire home so that a family can live at peace again, or they can choose to just, and that's the the love it mentality, or they can decide to list it and just abandon the home and let it be someone else's problem. 
That way they get to start in a fresh new place with a fresh new family and a fresh new start. And that's a tough decision, I think, when we think of homes, because you have to pack up boxes, you have to move. But with friendships, it's a little bit different if you're going to try to decide, am I going to love this friendship or am I going to list this friendship? (laughs) And we need to ask two questions before we do that. We need to ask, when is it right to love a friendship even when it doesn't fit? And then we have to ask, when is it time to list a friendship and move on? And it's an important question to ask because too many people try to love it sometimes. Too many people get stuck in bad friendships. They live in relationships that I think are sometimes spiritually damaging, emotionally damaging, and unfortunately, sometimes people love a relationship even through physical damage. And that's tough because the people, they choose to love because I think sometimes they love out of the mentality of, well, Jesus loved us. Jesus gave everything for that person. For me, and unfortunately, that means the people that try to love it in a bad relationship, they end up taking more abuse than God had intended for them. But on the flip side of things, I've heard time and time again from believers that sometimes you're just supposed to list a relationship. You know, if that, if that friendship's not working out the way you want it to, if they've got too much sin in their life, you know, if they're causing you to think a certain way, just get rid of them. Just ditch them. Just list that friendship because that's going to lead nowhere where you want to go. And I, you know, I think there's some wisdom in that, but unfortunately, the people that choose to list every relationship, every friendship that lets them down, they end up living lonely, lonely lives because nobody is ever going to meet the expectations or the hopes that they have for friendship. So what are we supposed to do? What do we do with that? Because you can't just emotionally pack everything up and put it in a U-Haul and move on every time you have a bad relationship. But at the same time, you can't stay in a friendship if it's like going to secretly kill you with carbon monoxide. You don't want to stay there. You want to get out of that. So let's talk about those two attitudes today. The first one I want to talk about is that list it attitude. And honestly, this one, this is the easier of the two attitudes or the two options because it's natural. It's natural when something doesn't work to toss it out and grab something new. It's simple too, just one out, one in. That's easy. But in the Bible holds verse after verse after verse about making company with people who are friendly to sin. And generally speaking, scripture would encourage us to avoid making, and this is important, deep, deep friendships with people who are quick to live in evil. And we're going to look at Psalm 1-1 this morning because it offers us some pretty simple advice and it's going to help us out. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for friendships. We thank you that ultimately the best friendship we can have is with you. And we pray this morning as we look at what your word says about friendships that you would open our eyes to these ideas of loving it, loving a friendship through difficulty, or getting rid of a friendship because of difficulty. And we pray this morning that you would open up our hearts and let us understand best how to treat the world around us. In your name, amen. All right, so Psalm 1-1, it's just one verse. It's going to be real easy for us. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. That's it. That's our one verse that we're going to start with. So the writer of this psalm is telling us, you will be blessed if you avoid relationships that offer you bad counsel, that lead you into danger, or that keep you under the thumb of criticism. 
You're going to be blessed if you avoid those things. Now, I've never purchased a home. Let's just make that nice and clear. I've never owned a home, but I've, I think I've had enough contractor friends and I've watched enough HGTV with Catherine to know a couple of things about remodeling a home. And if you remodel as a profession, you can come correct me after service. But there's three things you really don't want to find. The first one are bad utilities like plumbing or electrical because they're, they're costly to replace. The second thing is a bad foundation because that's what everything rests on. The entire house sits on a foundation. And the last one is a long, neglected, leaky roof because that is going to get into the house. Rain, snow, sleet, all of that is going to get into the house and cause other problems. So each of those areas, the, the bad utilities, the bad foundation, and the bad roof, they all actually line up, I think, really well with what Psalms, Psalm 1-1 is saying. So let's talk about that first area, that bad counsel area. Walking in bad counsel is a lot like finding bad electrical or bad plumbing in your house. Can it be fixed? Yes. But it is going to cost you. Because bad plumbing, like bad counsel, is often only realized until after you've used it. And that's messy. So investing into one or several relationships that offer you bad counsel or operate off of bad plumbing, you're going to be standing knee-deep in something you don't want to be standing in. And an example of that, I have a student right now. I love him. I've been working with him. But he's lived his entire life following bad counsel. And it's actually, unfortunately, from his father. And his father has close ties and friendships with professional criminals. So my student, he's knee-deep. He's maybe waist-deep in bad counsel. And unfortunately, he sees what bad counsel can offer him. He sees that, man, if I follow what my dad says, I'm going to have cars, I'm going to have nice, I'm going to have cash, I'm going to have designer shoes, nice clothes. But unfortunately, like bad electrical or bad plumbing, after it gets used too long, it's going to start shooting sparks. It's going to start seeping back into his life in ways that he did not want. And that's because bad counsel often leads to bad choices. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about standing in bad choices. It's worse than bad counsel because every choice we make in this life is like a brick that we set and then put everything else on top of. So every choice you make is like a foundational piece of your life. And it's going to require heavy equipment, sometimes like counseling, to dig deep and start to pull out bad foundations if you want to replace it later. Because as it crumbles, you're going to start to notice, oh, my house is creaking, things aren't working right. But you have to dig deep to find out where's, where's the problem? What's causing all of this? So let's look at another example with my student. Unfortunately, he's been making a lot of bad choices. And in a few months, honestly, I am not hopeful that he's going to start making the right choices. I think it is likely that he is going to end up in jail because of choices he's made in his life. He has a lengthy record of trespassing, breaking and entering, drug possession, and he thinks, because of bad counsel, that all of those, those decisions just magically disappear once he turns 18. Yes, that's kind of true, but no, it's not. Because those choices maybe legally may disappear, but those choices remain in his life. That's what he's put his life on top of. His foundation are all of these decisions. But worse than bad choices is, because, is bad um, um, is bad company, because oftentimes people that want you to continue to work for them in those ways will continue to encourage you in those ways. So he's been, in bad, been making bad decisions, 
and now, unfortunately, he's been sitting in bad company. And this is the worst of all, because bad company is like that roof that has never, ever been replaced. It rain gets in, it rots out wooden supports, it crumbles brick and mortar, um, it ruins electrical, it swamps basements with filth, and from a remodeling project I had to do in the past with a former church, I found out a long-neglected leaky roof lets mold grow in all sorts of nooks and crannies, a lot like how um, sin can grow in nooks and crannies in our lives, because the voices around us will dictate how we live. My student has found a home in the company of men who encourage selfishness, who hate the law, who teach him how to avoid getting caught, and who are dark to the hope and light that is in Jesus. Their voices have caused him to believe that nothing can hurt him. So he has sat in bad company, made bad decisions, and has, has listened to bad counsel. Church, I have watched too many people live this life. Youth ministry, large church ministry, it's all the same. Our choices, our decisions, the people we listen, listen to, the voices we listen to, they dictate where we go. And people that continue to do this, they grow comfortable flipping switches that don't turn on lights. They grow comfortable flushing toilets that push things back into their, into their home that they don't want there. They, they wonder and, and get frustrated at why their life seems to be crumple, crumbling beneath them. And then the worst part of all is that they have voices all around them telling them, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault and they don't know how to get rid of those storms that keep raining in. So I'm gonna say this, and then I'm gonna follow up. Do not let yourself be caught in a home, a friendship, that is going to destroy you. Don't let that happen. Don't live in a condemned building. So what does that mean? Does this mean that we should run in fear from every relationship that gives us bad advice? Should we abandon every friend that has ever made a bad decision? Should we do that? Should we ignore every person that has unbelieving, ungodly friends? Should we just leave the world to suffer outside of, outside of these doors and say, it's your fault? Should we do that? No, absolutely not. That sounds almost completely anti what Christ did in our world. In the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, there is a man named Paul, and he writes his friends in a church that's actually struggling to figure out some of these same issues we're talking about this morning. And he says to them in 1 Corinthians 5.11, he says, I am now writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunken, a swindler. Church, we could put any amount and number of sins, any adjective, after that that doesn't look Christ-like. But there's a word here that Paul uses, because this sounds like what I just said, we should just leave everyone to rot. We should just take a bulldozer, dump in all those homes, dump in all those friendships. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying don't associate. And the Bible wasn't written in English. So if we look back at some of the original uh, documents, the words that Paul uses here goes a, bit dip, dip, a little bit deeper. There's a different um, connotation with this word associate. It means don't get mixed up with, don't become intimate with, don't become closely tied to. Paul is saying here that we can't let these sorts of relationships, condemned home relationships, be our closest, best, and only friendships if we want to follow Christ. And in the church, we value each other as brothers and sisters because of the bond, that close bond we have through Jesus. Jesus. 
through the cross. He brings us all together. What Paul is saying here is that his hope, God's hope, is that our closest relationships would be with those who are offering us godly counsel, who are going to help us make God-honoring decisions, and are going to encourage us and celebrate with us what God is doing in our lives. Because God does some pretty incredible things, doesn't he? He transforms us. He looks at broken floors and says, let me lay a new floor down. He looks at the roof that's leaking and says, I'm going to cover that for you. That's the kind of relationship God wants us to have with each other and us to have with him. So what then do we do with condemned houses? What do we do with bad friendships? That's the question we're trying to answer through this whole series is, what do we do? What do we do when it doesn't work out? Fortunately for us, there's a story about a man who had every reason to list every relationship he ever had. Every single person who came to him had an issue. Every person that came to him gave him bad advice. Every person who came to him had made disastrous decisions, and almost every one of them doubted who he said he was. And if you're new to the church, this guy that I'm talking about is Jesus. God made man. God came and people did not believe him. God had every right to list us, to say, not worth the effort. It's condemned. It's a broken house. I want something new. But he didn't. He showed us how to love it. He said, I have an idea. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that love it attitude. So to do so, we're going to jump to Mark chapter 2 this morning. We're going to start in verse 13. It says this, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. And Levi got up and followed him. Let's ask, what's going on here? Jesus sees a man, a tax collector. Tax collectors, they were hated. They were worse than people from Illinois. You did not want to mix, mix with them. And see, Rome owned Israel. Tax collectors worked for Rome, and Israel wanted independence. But tax collectors, they were often Jewish, so it was a traitorous sort of relationship they had with Israel's enemy. And tax collectors often took from their own people a little bit more so they could pad their own pockets. Hmm, indeed. Um, if we follow Psalm 1-1, the tax collectors lived in bad counsel, they stood on bad decisions, and they definitely, according to all Jewish people, were keeping bad company. And yet, Jesus says, follow me. So we carry on in verses 15 and 16. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, listen to this, many tax collectors, and many sinners were eating with him. Now, this part's important. We're going to come back to it. They were eating with him and his disciples. Remember that. Making a big deal, don't forget it. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So we have Jesus here eating with many people who followed bad counsel, made bad decisions, and kept bad company. And then along come the Pharisees. These people were a group of guys that, man, they loved the truth. They wanted the truth more than anything else. And because they liked the truth, they also loved laws and rules. 
And they thought they were the best at following them. They loved all of the rules. They loved all the laws. They thought it was their, their duty, their best thing that they could ever do to follow them as closely as they could and put other people down that couldn't. So they were the ones that thought they were the best, best, and best at all three of those areas. And so they see Jesus, who's supposed to be the Messiah, who is God-made man, who they're trying to figure out. They're like, so is he God? Is he not God? Because he's not following all these rules that we have. And then so to find out, they ask the disciples, they say, why is he eating with them? What they're saying in their hearts is, doesn't Jesus know who he's eating with? Doesn't he know who they are? He's eating with garbage. He is eating with the worst people. I can't believe it. Psalm 1.1 says we should list those sorts of relationships. They don't fit. They can't be helped. Their roofs are caved in. Their foundations are crumbling. They have sparks and sewage spraying all around them. Why is he sitting with them? That's what the Pharisees are saying. And then immediately Jesus hears what they ask, and he says to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, Pharisees but it's the sick. I have come to call, or have not come to call the righteous. I have come to call the sinners. Big statement for a guy who says he's God. At the very beginning of service, we clarified the terms of love it and list it. And in order to keep an original home, the family needs to let a designer fix the home. Every home is going to have bumps and bruises. Every home is going to need maintenance. And every home is subject to the fact that someday it might not fit all of the needs of the family living in it. Because we are all hoarders. We like to collect. And relationships collect things that sometimes we don't want. And the same is true of any relationship. And Jesus is our designer. He designs our friendships. He redesigns our homes. And we cannot live as followers of Jesus just saying list it to any friendship that needs a little elbow grease. Our first reaction should be to love it. We should invite Jesus in as our contractor, our designer. Heck, he calls himself a carpenter. Why wouldn't we want those skills in our relationships, in our homes? And we need to come to a place where we need to do everything we can to fix what is already there. We need to dig deep and fix a bad foundation. We need to pull out bad utilities, bad plumbing, bad electrical, get those set the way they are so our friends are operating in wise, wise counsel, so they're operating in good decisions, so that they have a roof over their heads so they're not letting the voices of the world shame them. Jesus came to fix broken and busted homes not live in a perfectly manicured mansion. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He befriended doubters. He befriended thieves. He befriended doctors, rich, poor men and women, even the religious and even the demon-possessed, which I don't know about you, but that sounds like a relationship I don't even want to ever bother setting foot in. Also that friendships could find a home in a friendship with him. But he didn't do it alone. Remember before I said, and the disciples were with him? Do you guys remember that? I made a big deal about that. In our story, Jesus invited his disciples along. You and I, as disciples of Jesus, we have a role to play in fixing broken homes. He wrote, um, our friend Paul, he wrote about another church who had some similar problems going on to the first one we mentioned. It says this in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. 
Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You who live with God in your life, restore, fix, mend, make it right, that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We as the church have a role to play to each other and to the world around us in the remodeling process of friendships. Again, Paul warns us, though, not to be, to be careful, not to build too deep of relationships with people that are going to give us bad counsel, bad decisions, and sit in bad company. And he also tells us, you yourselves, do it together, plural. He wants us to do friendships, to work through life together as a contracting crew. Because when you work on a construction project alone, do we have any contractors in here? No. Wow. I am dead wrong. I made an assumption. But when you work on any project, let's even say, let's say you're going hiking. When you do anything alone, you are subject to more danger because if you get caught in a bind, there's going to be no one to come along and help you out. And Jesus is saying that. Paul is saying that for our friendships. Let's do it together. Jesus brought his disciples with. Paul is telling us, work together as the church in friendships. When something goes awry, rest on the counsel of a friend, a small group leader, someone in your small group, your pastor, whoever it is, maybe a deacon at the church, rest on their counsel, not on the counsel of others who don't know what Christ has called us to. And it's dangerous because Existing bad counsel can shock us. Others' bad criticism could crumble in around us if we're trying to do these projects alone. And the criticism of others could jeopardize our ability to see the real issues that need to be fixed. I really wish friendships were as easy as saying list it or love it every time. I wish there wasn't an option, but the truth of the matter is Jesus' hope for us for friendship is somewhere in between those two options because every relationship is different. Every house is different with a different set of issues, a different set of history, and a different set of materials that built it to be the way it is. Some bad friendships, they're volatile. And if we choose to exclusively and intimately be in friendships that offer bad counsel, bad, bad decisions, bad company, our lives will become increasingly difficult and following Jesus is going to be near impossible if those are the only voices we listen to. These are friendships that we may leave after we've given Jesus, our friends in the church, after we've given them the ability and enlisted the help of others to fix those relationships. After that, we might need to list them. But if you list a relationship, remember this. Just because you list it, just because you've decided, I cannot stay in that house. I cannot stay in that friendship any longer. Doesn't mean it gets torn down. It just means you're in a different neighborhood. And you can still go back and visit. You can still go with them and say, hey, what's going on? Hey, have you maybe fixed this yet? Hey, here's this other friend. Because they're still in your neighborhood. They're still nearby. It doesn't mean you exile them. It just means that this isn't the core of where I live. This isn't my main base of operations. I said this before, and I know Pastor Ben and Pastor Kevin have told you this, but Jesus' heart for every person is that we would all be remodeled by him. And you may have to walk away, but that doesn't mean that God isn't done with that house. 
that God isn't done with that person. It just means you might not be the contractor at this time. So as we close today, I want to invite two groups of people to maybe respond in a way that maybe you have before, maybe it's been a while, or maybe you never have before. If you need Jesus to walk onto a job site with you, if you need him to come onto a friendship this morning and start remodeling it, I want you to come forward and find someone to pray with you, someone on your Silver Creek prayer team to pray with you this morning and start brainstorming ways of how we can fix this friendship. Start that remodeling process this morning if you have one that needs work. And the second group of people, if you have never, ever, ever allowed Jesus to remodel your life, there is a place this morning and a person who wants to pray for you. Because I know at least one person in here feels like their foundation's crumbling down. They feel like the, the way that they operate, they feel like they're electrical, they feel like the counsel they've given them is starting to shoot sparks. They feel like their roof is caving in. And if that's you, what a great day to start a remodeling relationship with Christ. And it's not going to be quick. I'm not going to lie to you about that. Remodeling takes a long time. The only downside about HGTV is that it looks like it's all done in a weekend. But as someone who's been living this life of faith for almost 20 years, I want to tell you that every day you'll find a new project. And you grab the hand of your carpenter and you say, can we fix this? And he will say yes every time. So if you want that workman in your life this morning, our prayer team is going to be up, there, up here and they're going to want to pray with you. Heck, if you want me to pray with you, I will do that with you. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to close out this time of the service, but our prayer team will be up here. If you're one of those two groups, if you need a friendship to be fixed, or if you yourself are like, I'm the project, I need to be fixed, come find someone to pray with you this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here at Silver Creek this morning. We thank you that we're in this series of Fixer Upper that we can recognize, we can say our lives aren't perfect. And Father, this morning as we, we end this time, we pray that it just doesn't end here. We pray that each and every one of us would recognize that there are remodeling projects in our lives. And we pray that we would take the necessary steps to learn how to love relationships that are hard, to love relationships that don't quite fit anymore. And Father, after we've exhausted every option we have with you, with bringing in the wise counsel of people in our church, if we have to decide to list it and leave that friendship, leave that home as another place in the neighborhood, we pray that we would leave it, but know that we can still be the best friendly neighbor we can possibly be in hopes that that home could be remodeled. Father, we ask this morning that you would be God and that we would let you do the projects in our lives that you want to do. We thank you for everything you've done everything you're doing and everything you have yet to do in this church, in this community, in this nation, in this world. In your name, amen.